Well, uh, good morning, everyone. I uh, want to invite you to grab your beverages and come on back in and take your seats, and we'll continue with our uh, time together this morning. And I know that uh, it looks and it feels like summer outside. But I am here this morning to burst your bubble and tell you that Christmas is just around the corner. Yes, it is. It is. First, we'll get back to school, and then before you know it, it will be Christmas. So, or those might coincide with each other. Who knows? But if you have been to Costco any time since, like, May or the beginning of June, you know that all of their Christmas stuff is already out. I will not ask you to embarrass yourself and put your hand up if you have already bought your wrapping paper for Christmas from Costco. You know who you are. But just like last weekend... Uh, I did a little public service announcement for you and gave you some assistance by providing you with a topic of conversation, a fail-safe topic of conversation you could use in any social gathering when you needed to kind of jumpstart a new topic. Do you remember what it was? The borders, that's right. Talk about your experiences at the borders. And so we talked about that when we looked at our, our text. And just like a good border guard asks, what is the purpose of your visit? Last week we talked about in the book of James, when challenges and trials come into your life, that's a question that you want to ask. What is the purpose of your visit? And so this morning, I'm here again with a public service announcement for you, your early edition of the Holiday Guide 2014. So to kick things off, I want to, uh, you to watch this clip. Uh, it's a Christmas ad for eBay from comedian Jim Gaffigan. It ran a few years back. So we're going to watch this together. All right? Have a look. Let's talk about homemade gifts. No one wants them. I know it's the thought that counts, but think harder. How about a snowmobile? Doesn't have to be expensive. Go to eBay. Or how about a thoughtful barbecue grill? You like working with your hands, you could put it together. For a better deal on better gifts, come to think of it, eBay. Ah, smells like church. <laughs> well, we have all likely been on the receiving end of presents that just don't work. Gaffigan has a hilarious bit in another one of his routines. He talks about when you open a piece of clothing, you look at it, and he says, so many times you look at it and your first response is, yeah, not even close. <laughs> Do you even know me? Do you know what I wear? Or he talks about people that give gifts a robe to someone as a gift. He says, like, who would give a robe to someone? It's saying to the person, now all you have to do is catch a cold and then you can use this gift that I've given to you. Your present comes with my wish for you to catch a communicable illness. Not a good gift, think a little bit harder. Being a gracious recipient, though, can also be hard work. I can remember being given a gift by a family member who shall be unnamed, it's an extended family member, and it was something that I was at their house a number of months before, and I had accidentally broken it. And I had replaced it, but they then gave me a brand new gift of this, and I thought, great, this is like a revenge gift. 
They want to hold this over my head now for all of eternity that I broke this while I was at their house. And every time I'm supposed to look at it, I, they, they just can't let go of the fact that I said that I was sorry for breaking it. And then there's my least favorite, maybe yours as well, the person who gives you a gift but continuously tells you how much it costs them to give you the gift. Oh, you're gonna love this. Do you know why? I spent a small fortune on it. And it becomes all about them and not about you. It's like they wanna hold the price point over your head and then remind you about how little you spent on them at some point. But gift giving can be confusing for us at the best of times. But this morning, we're gonna look at an amazing gift that's available to all of us and that comes from a generous and good giver. It may not be a snowmobile, but it's also not socks that smell like church. So we're gonna look into God's word this morning in the book of James. And last weekend we started our teaching series called Mirror, Mirror, Reflections on the Book of James. And the book of James is this little book tucked just at the back of the New Testament, right towards the end of the Bible. And it's filled with practical wisdom and insight for living. So last week we looked at James chapter one, verses one to four, and we talked about how do we handle and think about trials and temptations in our lives? How can they develop in us that which we lack, perseverance and perspicacity? But sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of a trial or faced with a complex decision that has multiple factors and we're not sure what to do. We get stuck, and that's where James turns his attention now. So let's look together about what God says to do when you find yourself not knowing what to do. I'm gonna read from James chapter one, verses five to eight in the New Living Translation of the Bible. You can follow along. A lot of people at Jericho use an app on their phones called YouVersion, which is available at Bible.com, and also some of the reading plans that were talked about earlier this morning are on there. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd welcome you to grab one at the Welcome Center anytime. That'd be our gift to you. I'm going to read from James chapter 1, uh, verses 5 to 8, and says this. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything that they do. One of the amazing insights that James unlocks for us here in this verse is that God is a giver of good gifts. He's gonna talk a little bit about that later on in chapter one as well, that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. And he wants us to know and understand that God is a giver of good gifts. Here's who he says, here's what he says about how God wants to give to us. He says God wants to give, first of all, generously to us. James is going to tell us over and over and over again in the book 
of James, how everything we receive, as Pastor Keith already said, is a gift that God has given to us. Life itself, the rain, the scripture says, falls on the just and on the unjust. The sunlight that we receive, the ability for us to have relationships with other people, to process complex information, the ability to create meaning in our lives, to enjoy vocation, to have resources to live. All of this is given to us generously and lavishly by God. And James is asking us to think about why is it that God wants to give so generously to us. And the answer to that is that God gives lavishly and generously and liberally to us because that's just who he is. Giving lavishly is just a part of God's nature. Generosity is bound up in his DNA. We read over and over and over again in the scriptures that God's generosity is expressed towards us as people, even people who don't believe in him. What's perhaps even the most uh, commonly quoted scripture in the Bible has this truth in it from John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved that he gave It's in God's nature to give and to give and to give generously, lavishly, and liberally. God is not a stingy or miserly giver either when he gives to us. Romans chapter eight, verse 32 says it this way, God did not spare his own son, gave him up for us all. How would he not also then, along with his son, graciously give us all things? Giving generously and lavishly and liberally is just part of God's nature. And so when it comes to wisdom, James says, it's just the same. God wants to give it generously. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament over and over and over again reminds us of this truth. Not only the value of wisdom, but also its source. Proverbs says wisdom comes from God. And we'll see this later on in our study in the book of James as well, that wisdom has some specific characteristics to it that Danny and Keith uh, will lead us through in some other texts. But there's another description of God as a giver in these verses that helps us understand how does God want to give wisdom? James says that God gives generously to all without finding fault. In other words, God gives freely, no strings attached. Now you see, each of us is born with a fatal flaw and that is that we are not God. Therefore, we don't know everything. And so we don't know what to do in any and every circumstance and situation. So each one of us actually is going through our lives, whether we recognize it or not, uh, with a wisdom deficiency built right into our nature. Some people have a more acute sense, an acute case of wisdom deficiency than others. But here's the amazing thing. You see, when I give a gift to someone that I know is in an area that they are lacking, sometimes I'm tempted to have a bit of an attitude to hold it over their head just a little bit. Oh, you need something from me, do you? Hmm, 
Well, that must be because I'm, insert an adjective here, such a fabulous person, such a great person, such a wise person, such a resourceful person, such a whatever, smart person. And by inference, because you need something and that from me, I'm that and you're not that. Let me help you with that. See how sometimes our gift giving goes a little bit? If we're giving out of surplus to someone that lacks something, But that is not how God gives wisdom to us, James says. James reminds us that God is ready and willing to give freely with no strings attached. You see, God doesn't keep score of our wisdom deficiency. When I come to God and I ask him for help in an area of my life to overcome fear or anxiety or pride or anger or lust or whatever it is, God doesn't pull out his records and think to himself, weren't you just here yesterday asking for help with this very same issue? Did I not give you wisdom to help with you then? And you're back again already? God never does that. God doesn't reprimand us for past failures or God doesn't endlessly remind us of the value of the gift that he has given to us. No, God is ready and willing to give. I love how Eugene Peterson puts this in his message uh, translation. In the book of Hebrews, we've been reading that in our life journaling this past week. Hebrews 4.16 says, so if this is the case, let's walk right up to God. Let's get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy. Accept the help. God gives to us generously and freely without finding fault, without holding it over our heads, without reminding us continuously of the value of the gift that he has given to us So if this is true, God wants to pour out wisdom into our lives generously, freely, regularly, lavishly. My question is, why don't I seem to have more of it then? If the wisdom deficiency problem is not with God as the giver, then it must be with me as the receiver. And here too, James is insightful, helps us understand through a word picture how maybe the problem is not with God and how God wants to give, the problem often resides in how I usually ask. So James has walked us through this amazing journey just in already in the, in the short part of his life. He talks about we have all of these trials that come into our life, every one of us, and we get stuck and we don't know what to do. And so James says, ask God for wisdom when you're in the middle of those circumstances. He's willing to give it to you. And he's, how awesome is that? Divine wisdom available to us for every situation. I know how to face what's ever in front of me. It almost sounds too good to be true. There's just one teensy-weensy little catch, and it's the problem with how we go about asking for it. James reminds us and says, you know, often we say that we want wisdom from above, but we also want to keep our options open. We ask, but our faith, James says, our faith is not in God alone. We're of two minds about it. Meaning we want God to help us, maybe, but we also want to have some pretty solid backup plans in place just in case he doesn't do anything. 
we're gonna ask God for wisdom, for help, when he tells us something that we don't wanna hear or gives us a timeline that we're not as comfortable with, we're gonna say, thank you for giving me that wisdom, but I'm just gonna do what I intended to do over here anyways. Now, to be clear, when the text says, believe and not doubt, this is not talking about honest intellectual doubts and questions that you might have about prayer, about God, about faith. You need to know that here at Jericho Ridge, we welcome those. This is a place that's safe to explore no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey. You're gonna find a place, a safe place here to explore and ask some of those questions. The kind of doubt that James is talking about here is if you were to ask yourself a few litmus test questions about the way that you might think about your prayers when you're asking God for wisdom. So I don't know if any of these will look familiar to you. They certainly look familiar to me. The first question to ask yourself when you're praying and asking God for wisdom is this. Do I harbor secret doubts as to whether or not I really want God's help on this? See, sometimes when we really need wisdom, the issue is not that God is hesitant to give it to us. It's sometimes we're hesitant to ask. Might be an indicator that you don't actually want God's help that you want to solve this challenge on your own to prove how strong and independent and smart you are. And see, this is how James actually distinguishes between a smart person and a wise person. Wisdom here is not an intellectual quality. It's a lived quality. It's a moral quality of discernment, application of knowledge, all of those things. But wisdom is only wisdom when you put those things into practice, James says. So yes, it involves the application of knowledge, discernment, and intellect, but it also involves acting on things and seeing the situation from God's perspective. And sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't actually want to do that. We say we do, but if God steps in with wisdom, we tell him to back off. And so sometimes when you pray, ask yourself the question, do I really want God's help with this? Or do I harbor secret doubts about whether or not I should just do this myself? And that's the second litmus test question to ask yourself. Ask yourself, what is my plan when or if God doesn't help in the way or timing that he thinks, that I think that he should? You see, if you already have a plan all mapped out, end-to-end, airtight, no room for God to interject anything in there at all when God shows up, then why are you asking for his help in the first place? You're saying, oh God, please help me. Give me wisdom to face this situation. But under your breath, you're muttering, and when you don't, this is exactly what I'm gonna do. See, I see this all the time with my kids. They'll come to me and they'll say, hey dad, what do you think I should do about this? But you see, they already have their minds made up what they're gonna do about this. And so when I tell them, oh, I think you should do this or thank you for asking, I think maybe this would be a wise choice in this particular situation. They say, yeah, thanks. And then they go out and do exactly what they intended to do before they even came and started the conversation. Drives me crazy. Why even bother asking in the first place? I'm sure that would never happen at your house or in any circumstance that you find yourself in. 
But how often do we approach God in this way with our minds already made up and our plans already in place? And we say, well, God, if you don't help me and you don't help me right now with this and don't give me wisdom right now for this situation, forget it. I'm gonna work this out on my own. Now, James is not critiquing the putting together of wise and careful plans. He'll talk about this later on in the book when he talks about it, making plans for the future and what that can look like. But he is critiquing not allowing any room for God in your plans. And so often I find myself doing that, having the whole thing mapped out all in my mind. So I pray and say, God, would you please come and do this? But I don't care what you do. I'm still gonna do this, this, and this. And so James is saying, when you ask, ask yourself if you have a plan already in your mind that if God doesn't help you in any way, shape, or form, you're just gonna do it, that might be an indicator that you're not asking in faith. The third question to ask, if God wanted to grant me wisdom that seemed counterintuitive to the ways of the world, would I still be willing to act on it? See, this brings up another issue. Sometimes when we ask God for wisdom, he tells us to do things that don't seem to make sense on the surface in the eyes of this world. The Bible is filled with stories like this. They don't wrap themselves up in a neat, tidy little half-hour package where everything works out wonderfully for the individuals concerned. And later on in this teaching series, you're gonna hear uh, from Daryl and Jody Becker. They're moving with their two kids this November to Mazatlan, Mexico to serve people who are under-resourced. And so we met and had coffee with them and our missions team this last week and heard them talk about their stories. And one of the themes that comes up over and over and over again is stepping out in faith amidst a whole bunch of unknowns. We said, well, what are you gonna do each day? And the answer to that question was, whatever God puts in front of us to do that day. Might be cutting fruit to serve people who live down at the dump, might be helping uh, fit kids for shoes so that they can go to school. But we don't know. Whatever God brings into our path, that's what we are going to be obedient to doing. And see, it seems so counterintuitive to us as North American sophisticated individuals not to have a full plan mapped out for the six months that they're gonna be there and have every day scheduled and do this and then we're gonna do that and then we're gonna do this and we're gonna use all of our gifts and abilities because that's what God wants to do. Maybe but maybe God's just asking them to do something a little counterintuitive and just go and step out in faith in that way. And so they're willing to depend on God and seek his wisdom and his ways as opposed to having every aspect of things mapped out in advance, which is crazy because when I first got to know them like over a decade ago, they were the people that had the most plans of anybody mapped out. Everything about life was totally mapped out and in place. And so to see and sit with them and hear this journey has been just really challenging to me as well because it stretches my faith, causes me to trust in God and seek God's wisdom in fresh ways each day. Here at Jericho, the way we've chosen to articulate this is part of our strategic outcomes. It's a funny little one tucked away at the end that most people kind of breeze over quickly. But one of our strategic outcomes is called measuring properly. And we say this about it. We see people responding to the situations of everyday life with appropriate definitions of success. Measuring their accomplishments 
by God's metrics and not by suburban expectation. You see, when we're committing ourselves to that, what we're saying is that sometimes we will do things here as a community that look counterintuitive to the ways of the world. Giving generously, making alternative vocational choices that allow time and service for family and not just making the most money, being willing to act on the wisdom that God gives to us is stepping out in faith and trusting God even if it doesn't always look like it makes sense to people around you. But there's another problem with how we usually ask. And the problem is that I may feel like doing that one moment or one day. Yes, God, I'm gonna step out in faith. I'm gonna trust you in this circumstance. And then like two minutes later, I may feel very, very differently about the exact same scenario. I wake up a nervous wreck, and James paints a very interesting but bleak picture of this kind of life. He says, if you're like that, you are like a wave on the sea. You see, a wave actually has no capacity in and of itself to move in any given direction. It's completely subject to tidal currents and flows, wind conditions at that given moment, and it's driven and tossed about every day. Every little gust of wind that comes along sends it in a slightly different direction. And James says, if you ask God in faith for wisdom, but you actually don't want to continue to ask God and be in that place of needing God's help and wisdom, you're like a wave of the sea, you're fickle, you're unstable, prone to asking God for wisdom one minute but discarding everything he wants to tell you the next. James says this is double-mindedness, unreliable, and not just unreliable in your spiritual life, James says they're unstable in all that they do in the way that you think, in the way that you feel, in the way that you make decisions. You see, if that's the way that you approach your life and that's the way you approach God, James says you have a loyalty issue, not a decision-making issue. You're actually splitting your loyalty between the world and between God and that is a problem. So if that describes us, then how should we go about asking? Well, thankfully, somebody asked Jesus that very same question when he was on this earth some 2,000 years ago, and thankfully, someone else wrote it down for us so we would have his answer, and we don't have to guess how we are invited to approach God in prayer when we ask for wisdom to face the situations that we find ourselves in. In the book of Matthew, chapter 21, Jesus said this. Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you ask in faith, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can pray for anything. And if you have faith, you will receive it. See, the key to getting wisdom from above is asking in faith and asking God to deal with our doubts. Saying, like follows this story quite quickly, a person comes to Jesus and says, I believe, help those areas of my life of unbelief and doubt. 
Asking in faith and not doubting. Don't doubt that God is willing to give you wisdom. Don't doubt that when he gives it to you, you need to act on it and ask him for strength to help you. This is the same thing James says. James says, stop being non-committal about this. Stop constantly changing your allegiances and your mind. Ask boldly. Ask believingly. Trust God to guide and direct. So don't hear what James is not saying. This is not to suggest that we somehow view God as some kind of magic eight ball when we get into trouble. I don't know what to do. What should I do? What should I do? And Jesus will somehow tell you what that looks like. And this is also not to suggest that when you pray for something and God does maybe not respond in the way that you think, that you should think to yourself, oh, it's because I had a speck of doubt in my life. That's why God doesn't love me. He doesn't want to answer that prayer in any way. This is not what the text addresses. I think the text is driving us towards one simple reflection that I'd invite each of us to consider this week. And that is this. What we are willing to ask reflects a lot about our belief in God. What we actually come to God with in prayer tells us a lot about whether or not we believe who God is, who he says he is. So what we are willing to ask reveals a lot about our belief in God, but how we ask reveals a lot about us. The message translation of these verses that we'll close with says it this way. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to God the Father because he loves to help. And you'll get his help. You will not be condescended to when you ask for it. So ask boldly and believingly without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. Adrift at sea, keeping all of your options open. And so my prayer for my own life, my prayer for your life, my prayer for this church is that we would be bold and willing to ask God for wisdom that he is willing to give. And perhaps the more challenging part of that equation, that we would be willing to live with resolute faith what he shows us to do. Let's pray together, and then we're going to hear some more stories. God, we are grateful on this day for your work in our lives. We're thankful that you have given us your Holy Spirit so that you're not just asking us to ask you for wisdom and then leaving us on our own. You want to walk with us. You want to continue to pour your Spirit into our lives and guide us. And so, Father, I want to thank you for... um, the way in which the young lives and stories that we're going to hear in just a minute have uh, decided to step out in faith and declare their allegiance and faith and belief in you. Father, all of us face circumstances where we need wisdom. And so I pray that we would continue to seek, continue to ask, and that you would continue to give it to us. In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen.